And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. And uh, it's always great to welcome back to the program for her monthly visit, Nan Calvert from Root Pike Wynn. And uh, Nan always uh, manages to bring along with her a very interesting guest uh, on some kind of topic related to uh, the world around us. And uh, today we're going to be returning to a topic that I know is really important to Nan Calvert, and it's a topic she wants uh, to be more important to, uh, to the rest of us as well, uh, namely stormwater runoff and the damage that it can do when it is not properly handled and some of the ways in which it can be better handled. Uh, first of all, before we introduce our special guest, Nan, uh, just say a quick word about why this topic matters so very, very much. Well, as many of you listeners know, Root Pike Watershed Initiative Network is all about water quality and projects that enhance water quality, improve water quality, reduce flooding, and approach stormwater runoff, not as a waste product, which is what we often view it as, but rather as our water. It's not a waste product. And I think that's really important for people to begin to understand. It's our water. And what happens is that when rain falls, snow and ice melt, that liquid water has to go someplace. And as it goes to that place, it picks up everything that it encounters. And so what happens to the land also happens to the water. What happens to the land also happens to the water. And partly it's because of our practices. So we have covered uh, the earth's surface with impervious surfaces like roads and sidewalks and buildings and parking lots and all manner of things that don't allow water to infiltrate back down underground where it's supposed to, rather than just sheet flow off directly into the nearest receiving body of water. Because we have created that situation, we now have to do something about it. And so, as I mentioned, we have many, many projects going on right now that are focused on getting stormwater runoff to infiltrate back underground. And we do that by using native plants. So it's all connected. Just keep in mind what happens to the land happens to the water. So we work on this problem directly with municipalities, uh, helping them to fulfill their requirements of their stormwater permits, which Samantha will talk about in just a moment. Um, and, and we do a lot of education and outreach, connecting with the public to help them connect to stormwater runoff and really understand what it is and what kind of an impact they can have on it. So we work very closely with the DNR, as do the municipalities, on this issue. And I, I think that the vast majority of people don't understand how we work with the DNR, what we do, and why it's so important. Um, and that's why I wanted to have Samantha come on today and talk about the DNR's role in um, stormwater runoff and water quality and how we work with the municipalities and how other, you know, other, there are a lot of groups out there in Wisconsin, uh, very similar to Root Pike Watershed Initiative Network, who are also 
working on this issue all over the state. Um, and so that's why I wanted to have Sam on to talk about that sort of thing. Very good. So Samantha Cat is uh, our special guest uh, on the morning show today, and she is a stormwater specialist with the Wisconsin DNR, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. And Samantha Cat, we are really happy to have you on the morning show today. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, before we find out uh, a bit about exactly what you do with uh, Wisconsin DNR and some of the collaborations you've had with groups like Root Pike Wind, um, it would be interesting for us to know a little bit about where you come from and maybe a little bit about kind of your life's path that ult ultimately took you uh, to the Department of Natural Resources. Uh, sure. So um, I am actually a Racine native, went to Horlick High School. So I don't know if that's a, a popular opinion on this show or not. <laughs> well, my, um, wife, my wife went to Horlick High School, so, uh, so it's very popular with me anyway. So. All right. Great. Um, yeah, so living in Racine, I lived uh, on the north side, so pretty close to Lake Michigan. Um, always had a draw to the lake um, and knew that when I went to school um, that I would want to do something in natural resources. So I went to school at UW-La Crosse, uh, again, beautiful school, a um, lot of natural resources around, and ended up graduating with a uh, Bachelor's of Science in biology and environmental studies and my main focus was really on plants and plant pathology that's what i thought i was going to do um unfortunately when i graduated i didn't have a an easy time finding a job in the environmental world so i i did some other stuff for a few years um, but my interests were always in the natural resources um, and through those interests i got really into water um, which i think is uh, it, water has so many facets uh, to learn about. It's really, really fascinating. Um, and through my research, I stumbled upon the, the UW-Milwaukee School of Freshwater Sciences program. Uh, so I applied and I got in um, and ended up taking an interest in stormwater. Um, so after, after graduation, um, I worked in stormwater for a few years before heading to the department as a stormwater specialist. Um, so there's there's always a lot to learn about stormwater. There's a lot left to learn about stormwater. Um, it is a fascinating topic. And if you wanted to, you can make your entire career about stormwater. I know folks who have, that's what they did the, their entire time and they've been retired uh, for a few years. So <laughs> so it's a big problem that uh, uh, with that can, in a sense, into which you could plunge your whole life and all of your professional efforts and n never see the end of it, I suppose. Uh, Absolutely. Before we talk more about exactly what you do, um, I think it would be helpful also for our listeners to get a sense of kind of the overarching purpose of the DNR itself, even beyond the area in which you are specifically focused. What are we talking about in terms of the Wisconsin uh, DNR? What is sort of underneath that vast umbrella? And then where does the matter of stormwater uh, runoff fit within that? Yeah, so the department's goal is to protect and enhance our natural resources for this generation and future generations. So there is a just a, a very big group of dedicated staff um, who are interested in doing that. Um, a lot of really bright folks uh, with a hard science background um, who are doing the research and, and trying to make 
uh, our natural resources something that we can enjoy for a long time. Uh, stormwater fits in to that because like Nan said, I and Nan, I couldn't have put it better, um, stormwater is not a waste product, it is our water. Um, so we have urbanized areas, uh, you know, human impact urbanized areas. We build roads and freeways and buildings and parking lots and so that we can live. Um, but that all has an impact on our natural resources. Um, so it is a, a big topic to talk about and there are a lot of touch points. Um, so what does it exactly mean when, in terms of you being a stormwater specialist with the DNR on a daily daily basis, what typically are you focusing your energies on? Yeah, so stormwater, there are three permits for the stormwater program. It's industrial, construction, and municipal. I primarily focus on the municipal aspect, so this is why I work with Nan a lot. Um, the municipal permit is called an MS4 permit, stands for Municipal Separated Storm Sewer System. Um, there's four words that start with an S, so that's where the, the four comes from, and it's very clever. <laughs> <laughs> and what a municipal separated storm sewer sister, system is, uh, is when the, the stormwater, you know, lands on these impervious surfaces. As Nan pointed out, instead of uh, infiltrating into the ground, it sheet flows off into our surface waters. Um, and in separated storm sewer systems, that water goes untreated into the surface waters, um, as opposed to a combined sewer system where all the stormwater uh, would be captured and, and sent to a wastewater treatment plant. And that that has actually been really interesting uh, to see throughout my experience at the department, um, how a lot of folks don't understand that yet. Um, there's a lot of work being done by groups such as Rupike Wind to get that knowledge out and to do things like storm drain stenciling or to put those emblems on that says, hey, this water does not go to a wastewater treatment plant. Um, and it's interesting that that fact spans all ages, level of education, um, different geographical regions. So it's one thing that that's always what I tell people first. So typically, when is the DNR brought into a situation or, or what is kind of the mechanism by which the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources gets involved in this kind of matter? Is it when there is a problem uh, or is it uh, when something is about to be built or when something's about to be taken down? Or I mean, uh, at, at what point do you become part of the situation? Yeah, that's a, a good question. So speaking uh, for the MS4 permit, these permits are issued to municipalities that are in these urbanized areas. So urbanized meaning the, you know, the big hardscapes so the streets, the freeways, the, the buildings, the parking lots, and a lot of people. So there's a lot of activities that are going on in these areas. Um, so the permit is given to these municipalities um, with these conditions that are set to help mitigate those issues, to, to identify what practices are going on the ground that impact stormwater and how to manage that. So it sounds like there are regulations or law, uh, laws that are in place right now, I mean, like that are meant to be safeguards. Is, is, is that what you're saying? Yep. So the permit has a lot of different aspects of it. It's actually a really um, 
complex, very interesting permit to work in, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but the, the bulk of it is set in these six minimum control measures or these six programs. Um, so the municipalities implement these six programs and that will help um, mitigate the effects of stormwater pollution. So it either stops stormwater pollution from happening in the first place um, or it'll treat stormwater before it gets to, to the surface waters. Are we talking about standards that are specific to the state of Wisconsin? Nope, these, these uh, MS4 permits and these programs, this is from a, uh, the EPA permit, the Clean Water Act, the NIPTES permit, the Wisconsin version is the WIPTES permit. Um, it's, a, it's a wastewater discharge permit. Um, and these six minimum control measures are throughout every state. Is it, and are they essentially identical with every state or are there certain states where those uh, those standards are more stringent? Let's say they are, without knowing what every state is doing, um, I would say, you know, the meat and potatoes are there. Um, it's the six programs are, you know, um, educating the public and staff about stormwater, um, getting the public involved, having their input on the activities that the municipality is doing, that's public involvement and participation. There's an illicit discharge program where municipalities are supposed to um, do a couple different things like uh, having a field screening where they're looking for potential illicit discharges or have a spills program. If, if a spill happens, a known or unknown spill, you know, what do they do about it? Um, a construction program. Um, so before a you know big construction site starts to make sure that they have all their ducks in a row and all their BMPs in place and um, to make sure that sediment doesn't leave the site. Post-construction programs, so if you've seen like a big stormwater pond, that's uh, typically what folks think about for a, a post-construction BMP. So making sure that that land that has been developed um, is treating its stormwater before it leaves the site. And then pollution prevention, which has a lot of information in it. Um, it's anywhere from the maintaining the Department of Public Works yard um, to collection services like street sweeping um, and leaf management and uh, the winter road management, like a, applying appropriate amounts of salt. Wow. I, I never would have guessed <laughs> that the list of concerns is as lengthy as this. Uh, and the Wisconsin DNR has a hand in all of those facets of this. We do through the, the MS4 permit. Um, and like I said, that's the, the bulk of the permit. Um, but as we have more information or more plans um, or things like a, a TMDL, which stands for a total maximum daily load. Um, it's like a pollution budget um, that municipalities have. Um, the, the permits get more and more complex. For those of you just joining us, uh, this is Nan Calvert's monthly visit to the morning show, and she has invited to join us Samantha Cat, who is a stormwater specialist with the Wisconsin uh, Department of Natural Resources. Samantha, I don't remember if you said this at the outset when you were kind of telling your story, but when did you come to Wisconsin DNR? I mean, how long have you been a stormwater specialist with Wisconsin DNR? I've been with the department for roughly two and a half years um, and in the same role as the stormwater specialist, primarily focusing on the MS4 permit. And to, to kind of piggyback off of, you know, how complex and how interesting this permit is, um, there is 
and stormwater. Uh, there's always a lot to learn. So I've been there for two and a half years and uh, I'm still, you know, learning things about the permit, how to implement the permit, how to regulate the permit, more, you know, best management practices for uh, stormwater controls, different education techniques, meeting a lot of partners like Nan at Rupike Wind. There's a lot going on there. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, and you are, a, in a sense, a relative newcomer uh, to the field, but I wonder if you have some sense, and Nan, please uh, uh, join in if you have an answer here as well. I'm just curious how long we have cared about this to the extent that we care about it now, at least, I mean, in kind of an official way. I mean, obviously, there's a lot yet to do in terms of bringing the public along to understand the importance of all this. But I mean, for instance, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, um, were we thinking about these things when we were building shopping malls and parking lots and so on? Or, or is this a relatively recent phenomenon in terms of trying to pay attention to this uh, when we build new things? Well, I can say, um, I can speak for Root Pike Watershed Initiative Network and say that we've, be we've been focused on it for about 20 years. Um, and so, when we had the rain garden initiative that was addressing stormwater runoff because it allowed water to stay where it was supposed to be. So instead of just running straight off into the stormwater sewer system and then the nearest receiving body of water, it would run into a rain garden. And the rain garden was planted with native plant species that like intermittent wetness and because of their deep root systems, it would allow the water to go back down underground where it's supposed to. Root pike wind has grown exponentially since its inception. And now we're involved in large projects in our various municipalities that address stormwater runoff in the same way in terms of using native plant communities to help it go back down underground. Um, but we also are very concerned with erosion. We're extremely concerned with chloride contamination in the form of what we call road salt or sidewalk salt, um, um, E. coli contamination, and a whole host of other things. Um, and so our primary responsibility is to raise awareness at the public level so that the public begins to learn what the problems are, why it's a problem, and that we are literally all in this together. That if we address it from a municipal standpoint and a project standpoint, we also have to address it from a residential standpoint. Everybody can do something to improve the quality of stormwater runoff. Uh, so, Awareness is increasing, but it's not anywhere near where it needs to be quite yet. Samantha Cat, take us through what would be a typical project in which you would be involved in overseeing and ultimately issuing up one of these municipality permits. Uh, just Take us through what that would sort of look like from the outset to the culmination of that process in terms of when you are uh, involved in it. 
Sure. Um, so there are a lot of different projects that we get involved in, um, but I wouldn't say that those are the typical, <laughs> the day-to-day -day typical projects. Um, the Before issuing a permit, um, one of the things that we can do and we have been doing, and I know this is a word that people do not like, is conducting audits. So that's something that is uh, a <laughs> yes, is uh, is something that is a main responsibility of my job. And so it sounds really bad. I know that nobody likes to be audited, but it is beneficial for both the department and the permittee. So we come in and we ask questions. You know, how are you doing this? Can I see how you're doing this? Can I talk? to somebody about this um, and we and both of us learn uh, depending on you know what the municipality is doing we can um, give them advice on how to make things better we can be a resource for them um, and connect them with other municipalities and sometimes and it's been happening pretty often actually uh, municipality says something or they show us something that we think is really really good and we think it's worth sharing with other folks um, and so that's what I mean why uh, it's beneficial for both people so it is um, you know not a fun process to be put under a microscope for a few days um, and to kind of pick apart everything um, but it is all in the idea of adaptive management and reducing pollutants to the maximum extent practicable. What are you doing? How can we make it better? What are you doing that's really great? How do we make, you know, how do we share this with other folks? Um, how do we keep moving forward? Hmm. So do you essentially always do an audit and do you, do you have the right to just come in and do it? I mean, you don't wait for someone to invite you to do an audit. Uh, I mean, typically uh, what are the circumstances under which it happens yeah so um it is part of the the permit um that you know we have the right to 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 do these audits and it's part of our code and it's part of the epa requirements but i don't just show up at someone's door and say drop everything we're doing this audit it is a communication um you know we we've let all of our permittees know that it's not a and if an audit's going to happen, it's when we're required to do them. Um, so it's just a matter of time before we get to the next permittee. But it's a, a communication of, you know, we'd like to do this audit. Um, what are some like, what are some days that work for you? This is kind of what to expect. This is how you prepare. Um, and for the most part, I think it goes really, really well, um, and people are very appreciative of it. Um, the the department. Um, has a lot of permittees. So the state of Wisconsin has about 243 MS4 permittees, um, and 104 of them are in my region. So there's, um, there's yeah, like half the state. Um, so permittees actually like when we when we do have these communications and these touch points with them because they people want to do better for water quality, um, and sometimes they just need a, a little bit of advice. What I'm trying to understand is uh, if we're talking about a permit, an audit before a permit is given to build something, construct something, what exactly are you looking at if nothing has been built yet? Um, so there are different permits um, for or prior to constructing. So if, the, if a developer is going to be disturbing an acre or more of soil, um, then they need to apply for a state construction stormwater permit. Um, and there are different 
performance standards and plan requirements that are needed prior to um, getting that permit. So it's part of the application process. Um, the interesting part with the municipality or the MS4 permit, um, like I mentioned, one of the programs is having a construction site program. So the department issues a permit. We you know, check to make sure that these permit applications check all the boxes. And the municipalities also issue a permit. Um, so there's this another, there's another layer of making sure that if you're going to be constructing something that it's done right while it's happening and if it needs some kind of post-construction BMP, um, that that's also done correctly. I should think that one of the, the tricks here is you are auditing a situation without a storm <laughs> and without storm water, right? I mean, you you are looking at, a, in a sense, the lay of the land and trying to make determinations about what is there and what needs to be there in order for uh, storm water, which isn't present in the moment, uh, to be handled properly, right? And, and and how does one do that then? So we're looking at the activity that's occurring on the land. Um, so depending on, you know, what, like I said, what activity is happening is uh, what the stormwater pollution can be comprised of. So if you just salted a street um, and it rains or that snow melt um, washes off, um, we're going to be looking at chloride as a pollutant. So what kind of BMPs can we do for chloride? Um, if we're looking at like a parking lot where there's a lot of seagulls that are sitting there, um, you can be sh sure that there's going to be some uh, seagull excrement there. So it's a buildup of this. And then when it rains, it washes off into, you know, the everything flows downhill. So into your surface water. And so what kind of BMPs, these best management practices can we do for the type of pollution that's there? So Nan Calvert, uh, explain the involvement of a group like Root Pike Wind with which you are affiliated when it comes to some of what Samantha Cat is describing. At what point in the process are you involved or what role would you potentially be playing in one of these situations? Uh, well, what so under the auspices of Root Pike Watershed Initiative Network, there's a program called Respect Our Waters, R-O-W. And Respect Our Waters is responsible for education and outreach, public awareness, interacting directly with the public on behalf of the municipalities with whom we Con contract. And so prior to COVID, there were multiple public events where we would appear with our um, stormwater runoff model, uh, uh, with uh, lots of literature, um, <laughs> with something that sounds silly, but it's very effective. It's called the poop toss game. And it teaches people the importance of picking up after their pets. Uh, just engaging with the public to get them to understand that everyday activities uh, can have a, a significant impact on the quality of stormwater runoff. Uh, under the auspices, again, of Root Pike Water, of uh, Respect Our Waters, uh, we do mass mailing campaigns that are essentially seasonal in nature. So we talk about what to do with yard debris, grass clippings, leaves, because they all have an impact on they're all carried to the nearest receiving body of water by stormwater runoff. And people think, well, 
it's totally natural to have all of these leaves deposited in our lakes, rivers, and streams, as well as grass clippings. But in point of fact, it's completely unnatural to do that. And it results uh, in a whole cascade of events that negatively impact water quality. Uh, uh, one of our biggest concerns, as I said earlier, is chloride contamination. Uh, what people don't realize, of course, is that every time we put salt down on an impervious surface, it goes somewhere. Um, it just seems to disappear or go to that magical land of a way that I always reference because as the ice melts uh, and the snow melts, uh, it carries it away. But unfortunately, that chloride-based product, and they're all chloride-based products at this point, uh, end up in our fresh water. And um, a long time, we didn't think that was a problem. We didn't know it was a problem simply because we weren't testing deeply enough because that salt water is much heavier than fresh water. But once we started testing a little bit deeper down in our fresh water bodies, we realized that chloride is accumulating at an alarming rate um, and it uh, detrimentally impacts aquatic life. Uh, and so while we cannot remove the chloride that's there, we can certainly prevent and decrease the amount of chloride that's entering the system. So um, um, we work directly with municipalities in terms of um, educational events. And so, for example, we might have uh, someone come in and talk about uh, healthy streams and how to uh, decrease erosion on a very large scale. We might do a webinar on green infrastructure, which is really important to think about now going forward with our construction practices. We can't really just keep doing the same things we've been doing over and over again because that just won't help the problem. So there are a whole host of ways we interact with not only the public, but the municipal, the municipalities, the decision makers themselves. One of the things I, I think I'm confused about is that if, if there are certain regulations where certain things must happen, then are we talking about those being in a sense kind of the bare minimum but that there are better things that could do that would solve this problem in a sense even better or more completely or in a way that's even more effective? Um, are, are we talking about kind of a range of possibilities here? Yes. So for example, when it comes to say snow and ice removal, um, it's fascinating to me and I think most people don't realize that uh, significant improvements have been made in that realm. So there are applications to salting and brining trucks. Uh, the blades that are used on the snow, the front end on the snow removal end, um, you know, all manner of things. But these things cost money and we all know that municipal budgets are tight. Um, and so the municipalities are, are implementing those things um, whenever and wherever they can. Um, so the municipalities really are trying to have a very positive impact on stormwater quality. They're really trying best management practices or BMPs 
but often they're hindered by the budgetary process. Uh, and so you just kind of have to keep chipping away at it year after year. For those of you just joining us, this is Nan Calvert's monthly visit to the morning show. And with her is Samantha Catt, who is a stormwater specialist uh, with the Wisconsin uh, Department of Natural Resources. And Samantha Catt oversees the uh, formation and, and uh, implementation of municipal permits that involve uh, stormwater runoff. Um, Samantha Catt, does it fall under your... Uh, responsibilities at all to deal with situations in which something is already there uh, and a problem and uh, help see that that implementation uh, of improvements occurs um, or or are you really more in the business of overseeing permits when something brand new is being built and overseeing that it's built in a proper way um both um if there is some kind of issue, um, and I don't know if there was an example you had in mind, um, but it is, you know, in our interest to, to work with permittees, to work with wherever this issue is and to get this issue resolved. Um, so that, you know, sometimes is found throughout the audit process, which we talked about a little bit ago. Sometimes it's a permittee calling and asking for help. Um, sometimes it's some, like a, like a resident or a warden who sees a situation and, and they let us know about it. Um, but we're always trying to work with people to get things fixed. Um, I've, in my experience, found that, you know, people want to do the best for water quality, but like Nan just mentioned, there are some restrictions. A lot of times it's budget. Um, and so we work together to, to figure out a way to, to resolve an issue. Um, but yes, we also um, deal with the front end of it or work in the front end of it, which is trying to make the, the permits better, the education better, so that we can do a good job from right out of the gates. Without getting too specific, because obviously that that's impossible in this setting, I wonder how wide a range you find in terms of municipality to municipality, in terms of there being an understanding of the seriousness of this and the importance of doing all of this right. Uh, I mean, are there, do you find yourself at least occasionally at dealing with people who work for municipalities who are indifferent or even resistant um, or maybe dishonest or, uh, or, or by and large are the people you are working with, I mean, at least to some extent on the same team and, and, and wanting to seriously address these issues? Yeah, I would say everyone's on the same team. Um, sure, if we're in an audit, um, they might not like the pressure, so there might be a little bit of resistance uh, to change or a little bit of defensiveness, but um, we always work it out. We work through it together, and, and we are on the same team for better water quality. I think uh, the level of understanding of how to implement the permit because it's so complex. You know, we, we talked about the six minimum control measures. Those are all programs. The programs are complex in and of themselves. The permit has these other requirements. Um, and there's just, there's a lot to learn there. So if you're a, a new permittee or like a new DPW director, city engineer, um, you know, there's a learning curve. And so, the level of understanding of how to implement things or, oh, I didn't know we had to do that. Um, there is a wide range there, but yes, people are definitely on the same team wanting to work towards better water quality. 
I'm just reminded of something I haven't thought of in the longest time, which is that uh, we built our house in uh, Mount Pleasant back in 1999. And um, we were, I think, the fourth house in that particular subdivision to have their house constructed. And not long after that, uh, all of the houses that were just past a big ravine that's adjacent actually to our house began having serious flooding in their basements every time there was a storm. And that had never happened before. I mean, it was clearly uh, a result of this subdivision having been constructed immediately adjacent to where they live. And obviously something about what was done um, with our property in, in particular, but others as well, had some kind of a, a, a direct impact. And, and that water was going in places that it had never gone before, and it had to be addressed. And uh, I seem to recall that, that our, the shaping of, our, of, our, of the land that our house sits on had to be, in a sense, reshaped, and we had to do certain things to, uh, to address that. Although, again, it wasn't just us, but uh, our whole subdivision's construction, which had, had an impact. I'm just curious how often you see that, where there will be that kind of maybe unanticipated impact when something is constructed. And maybe 20 years ago, we weren't as good at all of this as maybe we are now in terms of anticipating those kind of serious issues before they occur. Yeah, that was part of uh, what I was thinking was, you know, I, I don't know what the permit uh, or not permit standards, the performance standards look like 20 years ago. Um, but with everything, you know, the the more we evaluate, the more we do, the more we learn, the more we can make things for the better. So maybe there was something um, that just wasn't uh, with the construction that caused that. But there's some other information here too you know that could have been an issue um with climate change you know where the wetter places are getting wetter the drier places are getting drier you know is it something where we were just getting more water in that area or is this something upstream that's happening um where there's more water coming like down the river there's more flooding that's happening um but i don't know i don't know the situation <laughs> right it's just it's just kind of interesting to to, to think about how you you do something in one place and what you do is not just affecting exactly where you are, but right. potentially affects all of the uh, adjacent areas as, as well. And I suppose that underscores the importance of being careful about this kind of thing. Absolutely. And that it's all connected. So maybe, you know, the, the new construction did have something to do with the flooding. I don't know. I don't know the situation, but it could have been new construction elsewhere, some unintended consequences. Um, so I guess that's part of what this is all about is trying to avoid those uh, really destructive, uh, unanticipated consequences when, when anything uh, gets, gets constructed. I know that one of the things Nan Calvert wanted to be sure to talk about today is not just addressing these issues at the municipal level, but also trying to address this in terms of what individual homeowners can do uh, in terms of, of making some kind of positive difference. Uh, I'm going to ask Nan for her, impact, uh, her input on that in a moment, but Samantha, I wonder if you have anything you want to say to homeowners about what they can do uh, uh, to make a positive difference with this issue. 
Yeah. So I think the understanding that our actions impact stormwater um, is, is the biggest thing to tell people. Um, so some of the stuff is a little bit more common sense. We talked about how, you know, a wide range of people um, were unaware that stormwater goes directly to a surface water. You know, they assumed it went to a wastewater treatment plant. And so making folks aware of that, you're going to change some behaviors right away, right? Oh, I won't dump my, you know, soapy water into the storm drain anymore. So that's great. Just making them aware of it. Um, something that are not or they're a little bit tricky, um, like salt. Uh, salt is something that is necessary to maintain public safety. Um, but the amount of salt that's applied, especially if you're looking at like a, at residents, you know, I see neighbors pouring out bags of salt onto their, their driveway. One coffee cup full of salt is good for a 20 foot driveway. Um, so just getting people to understand that everything that they're doing, like Nan said, to the land is happening to the water. Nan, what would you like to add in terms of some things that uh, that ordinary folks can do that would uh, make an extraordinary difference in all this? So if you're going to be building a new property, whether it's a home or a business, I would urge you to consider looking into curvious surfaces for parking lots and driveways and um, walkways. Uh, they are solid surfaces, but they allow water to infiltrate back down underground rather than sheet flow off. Uh, that is something that's been around actually for quite some time, but uh, it, it hasn't made its way into common practice in terms of building things. So again, if you're, if you're going to be making a patio, or something of that nature, in a pervious surface, pervious pavers, pervious concrete, whatever the title is, it's out there and you can certainly look into it. Contractors are using it. Uh, and I, I would encourage everyone to do that. Certainly reserving part of your landscape for native plants will help a great deal to decrease flooding and improve infiltration. Uh, it can just be a regular old native planting or it could be a rain garden. Uh, either one will benefit all of us greatly. Um, paying attention, you know, it's never too soon. It's never too late to start talking about salt. Uh, you know, there are uh, things that everybody can do to decrease the amount of salt. And it's really true what Samantha said. A coffee mug full of de-icing chemical, whatever you choose to call it, will do a 20-foot driveway or 10 squares on a sidewalk. What you are trying to achieve is that that surface is no longer slippery. You're increasing traction and you're decreasing the amount of um, ice that's on. Remember that all of those de-icing chemicals only work at certain temperatures, so make certain that you read the back of the bag they all work at certain temperatures below which they cease to function. And so it, it's just simply, you know, sort of salting our waterways when you, when you apply them. With no uh, benefit so, whatsoever. Yeah. Pardon? With no benefit whatsoever. With absolutely no benefit whatsoever. 
there are different ways to increase traction. There are things that you can put on the bottom of your shoes and boots, and I guarantee you're not going to fall down. Uh, they have they come in all different names. They're relatively inexpensive. It helps you decrease the amount of um, salt that you use and keeps you perfectly safe. Uh, municipalities are working very hard to decrease the amount of salt that they use, and they're trying um, to employ the innovations that have come online within the last few years. So, um, you know, <laughs> before you fertilize anything, make certain that you actually need it because if you're putting fertilizer down, you're throwing your money away and you're also causing fertilizers to run off into the nearest receiving body of water, which increases algae and then sets up a whole bunch of um, unintended negative consequences. And if you'd like more information about what each of us can do, don't hesitate to get hold of me. Just go to the Root Pike Watershed Initiative website, and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. Very good. And Samantha Cat, does the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources have a website that uh, the public uh, can can view? We do. Um, if you go to the Wisconsin DNR website, um, if there's a particular program that you're interested in, like the stormwater program, um, we have web pages with contact information on those. Very good. Very good. Samantha Cat is a stormwater specialist with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. Uh, Samantha, we appreciate you joining us today on the morning show to talk about what you do. Thank you so much for having me. Very good to have you. Uh, Nan, did you have any quick announcements you want to make in the next minute or so? I do. And this is so happy because I can finally say registration is open for in-person summer camps at our local nature center. So mm. the Seeds Minute Eco Justice Center, sorry, in-person summer camp registration is open. We have lots of options for a wide age range. Just go to the website, click on summer camps, and then you'll be directed uh, where to go to register for the camp. Same thing for River Bend Nature Center. Summer camp registration is open. Go to the website, click on uh, summer nature camp, and you will be taken directly to where you can get more information about the camps as well as register. Uh, one more thing, Hawthorne Hollow Hike River Benefit Concert Series begins Friday, June 18th at 6 p.m. It's $10 per person. It's in person. Food and drinks are available for purchase and Indigo Canyon is the featured artist for that evening's musical interlude. So things are looking up. We can all get more um, in-person events out there and support our local nature centers. Wonderful news. Very, new, very, very good news. Thank you. Nan Calvert, we'll see you in June. Thank you. I'll be there.